Today, Keith and I sit down and discuss the big move by Schwab to remove commissions from ETFs and equity trades, TD Ameritrade's response to this, which was to basically replicate what Schwab did, and then what this all means for consumers and the brokerage industry at large. Thanks for joining us and give you some truth. So, Keith, we've had uh, an interesting about 48 hours here because uh, Charles Schwab really started it all off with their huge announcement this week saying, hey, look, we're going to go commission-free with equities and commission-free with ETFs. And we've really removed a big barrier for smaller investors and said, hey, we're going to be free. And, you know, obviously that carries some huge repercussions. Yeah. And, and you know, one thing that, you know, we'll point out is, is that's online trades. You know, they're still going to charge you if you call up and, and say, hey, hey, Chuck, uh, can you move, you know, my, my five shares of Teledyne? that I bought in 1957. But for now, for most people, how they trade is online, on their phone, and it's it's free. And we, you know, we, we saw this and started talking about it in the office uh, almost immediately and, and thinking about how it might affect. And, and we were curious if TD Ameritrade would follow suit. And what happened? And lo and behold, they did. Yeah. I looked they, at my phone. I'm driving over to see the Brewer game, and all of a sudden up on my phone, TD Ameritrade just eliminates all the commissions and we were talking whether or not it was it was going to be possible because there's all these agreements that happen between the mutual fund and ETF providers and uh, through these brokerage houses and these custodians and you know lo and behold there's a little pay by pay for play here in here Keith and uh, now they just eliminated all commissions and so that was a big portion of their revenue especially so that yeah. was interesting to see I think it was I don't know. Do you remember the stat? What the stat uh, was? I know that? for Charles Schwab is like three to four percent of their revenue, and then for TD it was closer to thirty percent. I think I it is, correctly. yeah. And TD Ameritrade's stock price fell by I think it was twenty five percent on the news, and so that was not insignificant for sure to have. And, a yeah, even just even Charles Schwab took a, a good eight to ten percent hit yesterday, and yeah. they were the ones that made the decision, um, and. So we, you know, we published a, a blog post about this, and we've also been kind of talking about. And one of the questions: How are these companies going to, you know, replace this revenue? Mm-hmm. Um, how are they going to make money going forward? What uh, what does this say about the bigger picture of financial services as well? Well, I think there are some definite winners and losers in this whole situation as well. I mean. Let's let's start and dive. The, the in. first loser, of course, you addressed already. The Brewers last night. That <sighs> was. I don't even want to talk about that. I, I'm still we a should bit get distraught. It out of the way. Yeah. I'm very distraught about this, yes. But other other winners and losers and more directly related to financial services. Yes. So, I mean, if I would start with winner number one, I mean, obviously the consumer uh, wins big in this. The investor wins big. And I think it's the small investor that really stands to benefit. Because if you think about it, if you're trading – you know, for a $6.95 trade and you're trading a million dollars worth of one position uh, in an individual account, that trade cost is really inconsequential. But for people that have, you know, $5,000 in account and want to actually build a diversified portfolio, you have the ability to do that at a lower cost. And what a lot of these providers were offering were, you know, expanding, you know, commission-free ETF lists. And now they've just said, okay, all ETFs are now free for trading. So that's a huge benefit uh, for the smaller investor. And, you know, it's becoming an increasingly democratized situation for uh, these smaller investors now because they have all these great choices out there now. They have, they've never had more choice 
at a lower cost in the history of investing. It's really impressive that these companies have done that. And I think we we discussed this a little bit. This is, um, you know, I wouldn't call it a revolution. Um, It may feel like that, but it's really more of an evolution of what we've seen in trading costs. Um, You know, we've talked about this at various points, but I remember once uh, looking at, you know, a a trading uh, statement from my from my father when he bought some stocks in the early 1990s and, and the cost for the trade. And it was a small trade. I mean, you know, it was several hundred dollars for not a, a major trade. And now, you know, you look and it's six ninety five, no matter how much you trade, or it was four ninety five, how much you trade. So this is more of an evolution um, of how things are, are going, uh, lowering costs. And a big part of it is, is technology. Um, and one of the other things technology has helped lower are hidden costs um, for investors, right? We no longer trade on eight ticks, right? On eighth of a eighth mm-hmm. of a dollar, we trade on tens, uh, you know, hundredth hundredth of a dollar on decimal points. So that's one of the ways as well. These are all shrinking costs, and it's an evolution. We may not, you know, this may grab the headlines, but it's really an evolution of what we've seen for retail investors. And I think. When we get into more winners and losers here, one thing to mention is, you know, there's these, I think, transparent costs, which now are going to zero, really, to trade ETFs and stocks. But then there's the non-transparent things, too. And I think you hit on it really well when we were crafting this blog post, and that was just saying, hey, there's this bid-ask spread there, and there's still some pennies in there that can be played with, and there might be some custodians that move towards uh, shaving a little bit more of that where they didn't before. And so you've got to be a little bit more vigilant in how you put your orders in, um, you know, in the future, perhaps. I know Interactive Brokers was a little bit more transparent on their offering. Mm -hmm. They're rolling one out in October, and they're basically saying, hey, you're going to get it at at the bid price, uh, you know, is where, where we're going to execute. And that mm-hmm. difference between that bid and ask is really going to the house. And that's being able to offer those free trades. I don't think we're going to see quite as much transparency uh, for TD Ameritrade Schwab from that. And that's just a guess, but uh, they haven't, you know, said that. But I, you're kind of, we're kind of foreseeing that, are we not? Yeah, I think so. And, and you know, there are there are a lot of questions about this and, and, you know, how is this going to work and how are they going to replace the revenues in this, you know, is essentially called making a market, right? And basically the, the broker themselves can, with a client, you know, sell them securities they own and, and take that, that little difference. Um, and, you know, this has already been happening a little bit at, uh, you know, some of the warehouses who have no fees, uh, no commission costs for managed clients. They're still making that market. And one of my clients actually asked, well, is this legal? And it's like, yeah, yeah well, yeah. <laughs> you know, fortunately or unfortunately, is it is legal. It is how things have worked. The good news is with decimal point, you know, uh, we're only talking about pennies rather than 12 and a half cents a trade as it once was, right? With, you know, oh, the stock is at, you know, the bid's at 30 and a quarter and the ask is at 30 and three eighths. And that was 12 and a half cents that essentially went to the house, right? Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. And, uh, you know, and as we, as we've seen from office space and I think it was Superman two, you know, you start gathering up those pennies and you can start, uh, replacing some of that lost revenue. That's exactly right. And that, you know, that's a lot of people were wondering about Robin Hood's business model, you know, because they were actually the first ones to do, 
uh, one of the first ones to do the free trading type of thing. And, was, and various firms have dipped into this. Pool oh before, yes, now you know? now it's yeah now now it's you know big... they've said oh it's free trading for six months or mm-hmm. one hundred free trades or whatnot. right not right. But yeah. Robinhood is the one that has made it central to their business model. Right, and then they were doing the securities lending and and the bid ask spreads, and that's how they were making their money. Yeah. And so if we talk about also uh, you know some of the winners, I think that for so if you think about different people that run money, people, financial advisors that run money, the people that are affiliated with uh, custodians such as TD Ameritrade, Schwab, uh, interactive brokers, perhaps we haven't seen their offering really. Uh, we've heard that TD Ameritrade is going live with the free trading on October 3rd. I think uh, Schwab is a few days later. Um, IB is coming out soon. We've heard some rumblings that E-Trade might join this list. Uh, so, you know, anybody that custodies their assets primarily with these groups, uh, you know, it does give us a lot of choice in being able to offer these. And to the best of our knowledge, we're not being mandated to, you know, buy at the bid or anything like that. So I do believe that we're going to have some flexibility in how we use this. And that's where, as advisors, I think we're going to be refocusing even on our best execution, making sure that we're getting good prices for our clients. Uh, The SEC makes sure that we do this uh, as part of our regulatory responsibilities. But I think many advisors are going to refocus on it as well. And you know, using limit orders where applicable, using block trading desks as we have with TD Ameritrade, you know, they could go out and get a risk-based quote. And so basically when we're going and trading some of these things, not everything that we buy is is super liquid. You know, there's a little bit of a bid-ass spread there and you would want to be competitive. You don't want to trade. You know, if you're making a bigger trade and really moving that securities price, you got to be really careful. So, you know, historically speaking, we've used the block trading desk to assist us in that. And I can I see that continuing going forward. So I think it's a huge win for advisors that are custody at these institutions uh, to be able to, you know, bring these sorts of savings to their clients. Yeah. I mean, in a lot of cases, you know, when you're uh, looking at various funds, when you're analyzing those choices, for advisors, good advisors will factor those co- those trading costs in, right? Uh, how much is that going to cost over the long run? Is it more advisable to, to switch to one of these other kind of funds? And I think, you know, this also becomes good for clients because, uh, or for advisors who think strategically about their clients' portfolios because it does allow them some freedom to start thinking about realigning and making sure that the right assets are in the right places, that, you know, in terms of rebalancing, they're doing it as effectively as needs to be for the client. You know, there's no longer this this drag of costs. So if a, a client is more conservative, you know, the, the rebalancing strategy can be more customized. And, you know, this provides, I think, opportunities for advisors who are, are good planners and do a good job upfront with their clients to figure out what their risk tolerances are because now they can more precisely align what their client wants with what, you know, reality is like and, and give them better results and a portfolio that performs more in line with what they're looking for. And I think that it's great for us because we can eliminate the conversation of, okay, does this fund that's, you know, there's 500 funds over at TD Ameritrade, for example, that, that were commission free. And now you say, okay, well now, now that universe is even more vast and we don't have to have that conversation of, well, this this fund has this transaction cost and this fund does not. And we like this other fund over here, but, you know, we don't want to see people get dinged with this. And then you have to use all these security equivalents when you have these sorts of, 
transaction fee funds because you've got to manage to that. And now all of that is being removed. So it's a big advantage for us as a firm. Uh, now I think the issue is going to be really how do you winnow down the list of funds to something where you can actually digest it. You know, it's mm-hmm. just like eating a, a huge meal in, you know, in a minute. It's just not possible. So you've got to kind of find a way that you can winnow it all down, find the list that you're comfortable with, work with the providers that you're comfortable with, and then uh, try to make sure that you're, you're building the portfolios to the best of your ability. We're using some of the other tools out there. Like, you know, there are some, some model-based tools that we also utilize in our firm. Yeah, I think it it's going to provide an advantage to those uh, people who have have a long term investment strategy and a long term plan for their clients and know what it is exactly that they're looking for in terms of their investments. I think you know in a lot of cases, uh, advisors still they may may pay lip service to modern portfolio theory, they may pay lip service to you know long term plan, but they're in many cases chasing the hot new fund, right? And oh, we don't do that, Keith. No, and and I think that's one of the things that, in our case, I think is going to help us, is we, as a firm, as a group of, of people, I think everybody that's come on, we've all come to a realization that we share a very similar investing philosophy. We look for funds and companies and uh, strategies that align with those core values that we have, and I think that... Uh, ultimately will be an advantage for us because it makes, you know, going from 500 funds to a bajillion, that's a technical term, Yeah, there you, go. Uh, you know, winnowing that back down a lot easier for people who have our mindset. Yeah, I think that's, that's true. You know, I, I don't think that in every case we're going to end up picking the best fund, but we, we try uh, to pick good, solid funds that have a nice long-term track record that are manageable in expense and low turnover so they don't give people tax surprises. Now, uh, Keith, I think there's one advantage too for you in particular with these uh, sort of trading costs uh, evaporating. And that is when you work with expats, you might have to do some sort of enhanced indexing or uh, buy individual securities uh, that are not ETFs just due to restrictions. So that, mm-hmm. that's given you a nice advantage there yeah, as well. Yeah, it, it, it's going to lower costs on that, and it's going to make direct indexing uh, even more valuable, I think, and less less of a cost drag. Um, and we've talked a little bit about direct indexing. It's you know essentially instead of buying uh, one ETF that holds 500 stocks or one ETF that holds 100 stocks, buying those stocks individually uh, in proportion to what the index suggests you should buy them at. And what that also allows is you to handle your tax ramifications a little bit better, right? You can you can tax har- loss harvest a little bit more efficiently. And so when we you know work with clients in these situations to build an index, we may not buy all 500 shares, obviously, um, but we will look at, you know, uh, putting together a, a portfolio of 20 or 30 stocks that will replicate the index and also allows us some flexibility to sell things to create losses. And, you know, if we worked with interactive brokers or if we worked with TD Ameritrade, you know, there was a little bit of a drag You in that upfront cost. You know, you were paying these these purchasing commissions because you're buying 30 or 35 of something rather than just one. Now that goes away. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw more of the uh, firms themselves offering these sorts of direct indexing kind of alternatives where you buy a basket of stocks. 
I think we're going to see that a little bit more, which is odd because we've gone all full circle. You know, we went from from mutual funds into ETFs and it's all these packaged products and things like that. And now I think we're going to start moving and making it more. So you're actually going to go back to some individual equity purchases. Uh, so I, I think that's going to make that very interesting. So, I mean, it's always fun to talk about all these winners. I think it's great, but let's talk about some losers because that's, I think, more fun. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, if we want to talk about the big losers in this situation, you know, first of all, I, I kind of alluded to it earlier a little, if I'm a mutual fund company, I'm probably not really happy with this because this is another kind of death knell to the mutual fund industry because, you know, we said stocks, we said ETFs, we did not say anything about mutual funds, and they are still transaction fee funds, or they have extra embedded costs to make them no transaction fee funds. So they're going to continue to be fairly expensive as an alternative. Exactly. And, and you know, in a lot of cases, those transaction-free funds are, again, it's pay-to-play, and trying to get those costs down with the, the you know the holders. Uh, I think the other thing uh, in terms of losers with mutual funds is, is this continues to make the price argument more apparent in working with a mutual fund. And you know, an ETF. One of the reasons they gain prominence is because they're they're generally lower costs. They're they're structured around strategies that are more fixed and and more tax efficient, and work we're getting at more and more of these mutual fund, oh my goodness, you know, there's another cost, there's another cost. And, you know, whether it's one that the customer can see or can't, it just keeps adding up and I think is leading money away from from mutual funds. I think people are going to be very surprised when they get their tax bills this year and they realize that a lot of capital gains are coming their way uh, just due to a lot of these funds rebalancing. Some of them due to them losing money and having to redeem some of their shares, and that means buying secure or selling securities. Uh, it's a very difficult environment for mutual funds. I would say, and if we added up another loser, I would say that uh, the advisors that don't work with these institutions are probably going to have to deal with clients that are saying, "Hey, I don't want to pay, you know, ten dollars a trade or twenty-five dollars a trade or what have you for what I, what they're getting charged for uh, ETF trades or or stock trades." They say, "Well, why am I working with you?" And I can just go over here to this other advisor that where I have none of those fees. So I, I do think that will be an important. Uh, thing to discuss going forward now maybe the brokerages all follow suit and maybe the the yep. wirehouses go okay well we don't care we're going to do that or maybe some of these independent broker dealers do that too but i know they were dipping into that revenue as well uh so it's not an insignificant portion of revenue that you're getting there well and now we bring up i don't know if they're winners or losers are td ameritrade are charles schwab are interactive brokers are they winners or losers in these well in the revenue is going to go down initially at least yeah. Um, so they're going to make have to make it up with uh, volume, with securities lending, and I think here's the big thing: you're going to be sold more products from them, uh, banking products, etc. So a little bit of the wirehouse model there, I think, is going to yep. start to infiltrate the custodial battles in there. Yeah, I think this is this is one of the concerns we may have as advisors. You know, how are our clients being marketed to? Uh, part of the reason I think we like the the you know, firms that we work with, TD and, and Interactive Brokers, is because they've kept some of that egregious marketing at, at reasonable levels. Um, they're reasonable rather than egregious. But this this becomes, and, and you also wonder to what extent, yes, uh, you know, the big brokerages, the old wirehouses are owned by banks now, right? 
uh, whether it's Bank of America and Merrill Lynch, whether it's J.P. Morgan Chase, whether it's you know a- any of the ones that have been folded in. There are a couple of still you know independent brokers, but they have banking components, and you wonder how much more the banking you know that that we're seeing a, a sort of integration of where we had maybe separate separate strokes for you know different folks we're going to see these institutions try to do everything under one roof and is that ultimately going to be best for the for the consumer um because you know one of the premises of of modern economics is that specialization is is better right and now they're trying to do all financial things for all clients and you wonder you know well, they're going to have your data, that's for sure. Because all these institutions have all your data now, and then they're going to try to aggregate in even more of your data and increase your wallet share with them, for sure. Yep, that's the the big thing that, you know, I remember that term being quite popular at, at broker-dealers. Oh, yeah. Wallet share. The wallet yep. share. Yep. Trying to open up as many accounts as possible. Get you into, stickier, yep. right? and, and, you know, that could open up the door, as we saw with, you know, Wells Fargo. That was one of the causes of, of their issues were... They were just pushing to open up, you know, open up accounts, open up accounts. And if you see a similar thing on, on the side of of these brokerage houses, it could be could be problematic. I'm not saying we're going to see it, but it's something you have to be aware of. It could be problematic, or you know, if you look at it from an optimistic lens, that you know, if I think that they're going to build software eventually that's going to proactively be able to peer into your life and give you a better deal. Here's a better loan product. Here's how you can refinance finance a car loan and do it quickly, um, you know, just with a few clicks of a button. And I think you're going to see our software to really drive the, the price to consumers for lending products down even further. I think that's going to be a huge trend in our industry. But uh, that being said, you are going to be aggressively marketed to, and we as financial advisors might not want to see that necessarily either because – uh, we might be getting competed against by our own custodian. Uh, so far, he's been good about that. But we, Schwab's been very aggressive in their marketing, uh, you know, and really kind of, I know that's teed off some financial advisors out there. TD's been a better, bit better about that, but we'll see if that persists. Well, and this saying. also opens up. It's going to make it, our job a little bit harder because we already, you know, so often we, we try to be proactive with clients and say, hey, you know, if you're ever considering a major purchase – come and talk to us first right if it suddenly you get an email and you can click through and and boom get yourself a new loan you know that new car purchase that we would like to you know stand a stand atop of and say hey hold on let's look at the situation let's look at the best options for you and your whole picture if they're being marketed to and it's like boom here's the car loan you know that's going to make our job a little little harder that's true and now i would say that the biggest loser from this has got to be robin hood right I think so. I think uh, I think those guys as well. Have they made any money? Has that company well, made no, any money? They lose money hand over yeah. fist, you and, know. And so now, you know, even that. Oh, we've revolutionized. Uh, we've revolutionized the brokerage world. You know, they're they're they've got an app for that. You know, they've reinvented the bus. That's what they've done here. It's like you know, all of a sudden, you know, oh, let's, what what if somebody came up with a, a, a you know. An Uber, but for books. You mean the library, guys? <laughs> That's where Robin Hood are. You yeah, know? they got to be feeling bad today. Those guys. I mean, those guys. They were thinking, well, we will never make any money, but we'll go public and, you know, we'll sell this off to way. sell this off to some suckers. And now they're stuck. 
It's all about volume, Keith. It's all about volume until it it's, until uh, it doesn't become about volume. Cu- customer about acquisi- yeah. acquisition. If you've got the data, Clint, you've got the data. Then you know it's just scalable. Right. You scale it up, and you know. Uh, by the way, if you're going to be using these these uh, commission free trades to buy individual securities, generally look for companies that make money. That's my long term advice. Wow, that's big. I like that. Yeah. I, I would I would say that that's a good rule of thumb. That you'd like your brokerage firm to be a uh, a going concern. Yeah, uh, I would have you know, some concerns if I was just, over at Robinhood. Now. Yeah, just just generally making money as a business is a good business plan. Not making money is not a good business plan. Well, I do think that we should look going forward too to be fair to other companies too, and say you know we should be looking at TD Ameritrade and Schwab and those others after this is all put into place for you know six to 12 months hey where are they going to be at and how yep. how are they how does their balance sheet look now after all of this is this model for them sustainable over the long term i think once you give people free trades there's no going back though no oh yeah you can't i mean it's it's the problem we're seeing in in the news industry right they gave away the product online for a long time and now they're trying to put up gates and paid subscriptions and you know, uh, limits on articles and all of that, and they're having a hard time. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get that, that taken away from me. I'll, I'll be very upset if a year from now they go, oh, we're putting in transaction fee funds now. Yep. I would be very upset with my custodian if they did that. So Indeed. Indeed. We'll see. Well, um, you know, any other losers or winners that you're going to think about, Keith? No, I think we've we've touched on a great deal of them. I think we, we covered quite a few. Um, you know, the, we, we're going to have to talk about the the brewers off air i think you need some therapy on this one i do i do um, but otherwise uh, no i think we we covered everything i think it's as, as you've said you know it's never a, it's never been a better time to be an individual investor costs keep coming down costs keep coming down um you know we will also see where the unintended consequences of these things end up going I completely agree with you. So thank you once again for joining us and give me some truth on our very special edition, our our Schwab burns down the world conversation That's <laughs> where they changed everything. I they, mean, they threw the match. Yeah, yeah, they did throw the match. Although yeah. I was really, I have to say, it was, uh, it was interesting to me how quickly TD Ameritrade reacted. Yes. So you wonder if they had a contingency plan in place for this this moment. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure That's, they did. Yeah. And so, you know, hey, this is big news in our industry, and hopefully you can appreciate the fact that uh, we wanted to get out some of this information to you to, so that you could further understand why they're doing this and also uh, you know, what are their potential ramifications. So please join us on another edition of Give Me Some Truth. you got to leave your money behind you. Raise your hand to the sky. Advisory services are offered through Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor.
Clint Walkner, Nate Condon, Jonathan Jordan, Mitch DeWitt, and Keith Ponywise are investment advisor representatives of Walkner Condon. Guests on the podcast are not registered, and their participation in the podcast are limited to unregistered activities and will not provide any advice that is investment-related, nor should any comments that guests make be construed as giving investment advice. Content should not be viewed as an offer to buy or sell any securities mentioned or as legal or tax advice. You should always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, is not engaged in the practice of law. Whenever you invest, you are at risk of loss of principal as the market does fluctuate. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Purchases are subject to suitability. This requires a review of an investor's objective, risk tolerance, and time horizon. Investing always involves risk and possible loss of capital. Long-term care, estate planning, insurance products, and tax advice are not offered through Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC. Walkner Condon works on a best efforts basis and does not guarantee any results. Past performance does not represent future results. Please see walknercondon.com for additional disclosures.